You're listening to episode 28 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. A rainbow baby is a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, TF, MR, or the death of an infant from natural causes. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband Hunter and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced recurrent miscarriage, IVF, and recently the birth of our rainbow baby, Jonas. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. In this episode, my husband Hunter and I reflect on the birth of our rainbow baby, Jonas. Admittedly, it's been much more difficult for me to find time to record and edit this podcast while taking care of a newborn full-time. We recorded this episode three months ago, and I'm just now getting it out after finding little pockets of time during naps to record and edit. New episodes moving forward will be more intermittent. I hope you understand. I want to continue to share about my postpartum and parenting after loss experience. In this episode, I share how I cultivated peace on Jonas's birthday, how I coped with fearful thoughts leading up to his birth, how this birth experience compared to our first baby Ellis's, the importance of finding a great team and hospital for your rainbow baby's birth, the things we did to make Jonas's birthday extra special, what we brought in our hospital bag, and the emotions we experienced at the birth of our rainbow baby. You can support this podcast by taking two minutes to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and also by purchasing one of my day-by-day rainbow lapel pins. For me, rainbows have become a symbol of hope through my journey of pregnancy, loss, and grief. The pen not only symbolizes my hope for a rainbow baby, but also my hope in something greater, that I am taken care of even when it seems like everything is going wrong. The pen serves as a wearable reminder for you or a loved one to take things day by day through pregnancy loss, trying to conceive, pregnancy after loss, or any other difficult situation. You can get 10% off by purchasing one for you and a friend with discount code FRIEND10. Okay, here's the episode. So here we are, three months after the birth of Jojo. Season three. Season three, there you go. So I've decided that I'm going to call this episode the start of season three because Last year, I started season two around the same time, and that was transitioning from um, the first season, which was about my grief after the birth of Ellis and trying to conceive again, and the second season was um, focused on once we got pregnant with Jonas and... And the whole IVF journey. Right. Right. Well, the first season really included the IVF journey, and then the second season was um, getting pregnant and following that journey of pregnancy after loss. Um, And I feel like it's been so long already since I've done a podcast episode because it was in October I interviewed Rachel George for the podcast, and that was... Um, really just like a few weeks before we were scheduled for the c-section and my plan at the time was that I was going to come back and have another episode recorded like I guess shortly after the birth but (laughs) maybe that was a little too ambitious because um, having a newborn is pretty intense and we weren't really sleeping and oh and there he is crying. We're trying to record this episode during his nap time, so. Well, case in point, difficult to record podcasts. Right. During nap time. So yeah, we're recording this episode during nap time. Um, we've been talking about recording this episode for a while now, but I think it feels like the right time because we finally have the headspace a little bit. We have some more margin in our days. We've gotten a little bit of a routine down with his nap schedule and sleep schedule. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a schedule, but he's doing 
naps more regularly. Um, so yeah, Hunter and I both kind of prepared some questions like we have in previous episodes with each other. And, um, so we're just going to talk about our birth story with Jonas and what the postpartum experience has been like since then. Um, so do you want to start off with your questions? All right. So my first question is, how did your birth experience with Jojo compare to your expectations? I actually think that it met most of my expectations, which is kind of incredible when you think about how unpredictable birth is. And I think a big part of that was the preparation that I've done um, and just really working through my grief after Ellis was born. So what were your expectations? So I had done a lot of work, um, you know, mental and emotional and spiritual work during the pregnancy with Jojo um, just to cultivate peace. And that really was from the beginning of even before we officially were pregnant with him during um, our embryo transfer through the IVF process. I was um, doing a lot of work to cultivate hope and peace and I was able to sustain that through the pregnancy with him. Not that every day was totally peaceful and blissful. There were definitely moments of anxiety and fear. Um, and I talked about that in previous episodes. Um, but I can honestly say that I had peace. That was kind of the thread through his whole pregnancy. And, um, I also did a lot of kind of mindfulness exercises where I would envision the birth since we knew from about the beginning of the second trimester that we were going to have a scheduled c-section i was able to start doing some visualization of that experience and um, had talked with several doctors about what that would look like and talked with my doula and hunter and i were able to make decisions about how the c-section would go and because um, we wanted it to be a really as positive of an experience as possible, considering it's a major surgery. Um, and there are still, of course, you know, potential unknowns, obviously. But yeah, I wanted to have a, a positive experience since my first C-section obviously was so shrouded in grief. So I worked really hard to cultivate peace throughout JoJo's pregnancy and um, part of that was doing some mindfulness exercises pretty regularly of envisioning the birth and just imagining it being very peaceful and joyful. So yeah, that helped to manage my expectations because I could really envision what each part of the surgery of the C-section was going to look like and Megan Ardula just literally talked through like every single thing that they were going to do. So, um, yeah, I just, I felt really calm and comfortable about the surgery because I knew fully what to expect. And even like, you know, if something were to go wrong, I guess, I, like how I knew what that might look like to, to a certain extent. Um, and so that helped to really put me at ease and, the morning of the surgery, we were able to sleep in a little bit that day. I got like a really solid sleep the night before, amazingly, and wasn't anxious. We woke up, had a leisurely morning, um, and I wasn't. The only thing was that I wasn't able to eat, <laughs> which is really hard for me to do. Yeah. So I had to fast um, starting from the night before up until the surgery, <laughs> and. Uh, but you handled it well. I, I don't remember you being grumpy or... Yeah. Uh, I guess you were pretty hungry, but... Yeah. Well, I did. Sure. I set my alarm for like right. 4 a.m. and ate a big protein bar and chugged a bunch of water because mm -hmm. that was kind of, I think, the last, like, it had to be like 12 hours or something mm -hmm. before the surgery cut off. Um, so, I yeah, I was able to make it. And I think just the excitement of the day... Mm -hmm kind of helped me not to focus so much on the fact that I was really hungry. Right. Backtracking. Yeah. So um, my family wanted to be present, of course, but we weren't able to have any 
extra visitors besides just you as my support person at the hospital because of COVID-19. And I had been tested the day before. Um, so you and I actually visited the hospital the day before the surgery mm-hmm. um, and got to meet our lead nurse. Her name was Summer. She was amazing. And we told her our story and about Ellis. And she said, I'm going to make tomorrow the best day ever for you guys. And just was so understanding mm-hmm. of like, you know, even though she hadn't been through pregnancy loss herself, she could um, really empathize with us and understood how big this was for us. Right. Because, um, of course, like, birth is big for any parents, but it's really big for, um, it was really big for us having lost mm-hmm. our first baby and then experienced a miscarriage and IVF. We've just gone through so much to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that meant a lot that she could recognize that. And then I felt like, we were really going to be cared for and I trusted the team. So I would recommend that to anyone out there who's listening. If, if you're in some, a similar situation, just like if there's a way for you to communicate with that lead nurse, mm-hmm. um, then that person can tell all the rest of the staff about, you know, that you are a lost parent mm-hmm. and that, um, that that's just an important part for everyone to know because it definitely set the tone for our experience. Definitely. That was really important. And I just felt like we were in great hands the whole time. Yeah. And like you said, to have that sensitivity with every every um, one we interacted with was so great. Yeah. That um, just, you know, felt like we were treated really well. So. Yeah. And I, um, well, so the next day, my family, they met us at the hospital and, um, I had this rainbow dress on that actually Hunter had picked out for me and I wore it like the whole, like third trimester of my pregnancy. Cause I it, pick out all my wife's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kidding. <laughs> but it was, it was like my favorite dress cause it had rainbow stripes and it was, um, it just was really comfortable to wear. So, um, my mom, just to be silly, she bought herself and my sister the same dress so that we could all be wearing it. And so they met us at the hospital and walked us to the entrance, which just made it really fun since they weren't able to be there with us, like, you know, afterward. And um, just, yeah, made us have that, like, positive, excited energy. And that was what I wanted to have. Those were, like, talking about, your question was, did my expectations meet up with Mm -hmm. reality? And that was what I really was hoping for. It was like to have this really positive, excited day. It's his mm-hmm. birthday. It's a celebration. And so, um, I remember like when we walked into the hospital, I had my rainbow dress on and one of the nurses commented and said, Oh, I love your dress. Mm-hmm. And it just made me feel, you know, excited and happy. And, um, and then, yeah, every person who came into our room to help prep me for the surgery was so kind and, um, one of the nurses, I don't remember her name, but she was currently pregnant Mm. and, um, we told her our story and she was just so sweet to us and like took really good care of us and told us that, um, the anesthesiologist that we had that day was the best, was the best. And we had heard that from like at least three people, right? which just made us feel like great really good about go, going into that operation that, um, you know, we know, we knew your doctor and really trusted her. We knew the anesthesiologist and had, you know, she had been, uh, you know, had glowing recommendations from the staff and then, um, the lead nurse. So really everyone was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the surgery was scheduled for two, but it ended up not happening until I think like, what was the official time, like 3.26 or something like that in the afternoon. Um, So just the preparation for various reasons took a little bit longer. um, But we were waiting for the doctor to get there too. Yeah, something like that. That's part of it, yeah. Um, But even during that time, I did not feel anxious. And I think like, I know that, while we were there, there was literally, you know, handfuls of people that were holding us up and saying prayers for us and Mm -hmm. just like, you know, so 
excited for us that mm-hmm. day. And so I could just feel that positive energy mm-hmm. of like being held up by everyone. And I just, I had asked for. Yeah. And I, th- I think especially because it was scheduled. Yeah. C-section. We, right. people had it on their calendar. Like, right. You know, that date circled. So that was a cool aspect of it being scheduled. Yeah. And we had told our closest people that, you know, my prayer was that I wanted to have peace that day. That was like what I really wanted to feel. And I, I honestly felt that. And I remember you, like when you put on your scrubs, (laughs) we were kind of being silly and like taking photos and you were taking videos of me getting prepped and um, we just had such like a lighthearted energy. Mm-hmm. It was just a good light mood, and I was just trying to do whatever I could to keep you at peace, comfortable, because I know there's a nervous energy for both of us under the surface where you know you're kind of. Um, but we were able to keep that at bay, and and I think genuinely did have a, a lot of optimism about the process even though there was that nervous tension as well right yeah um yeah because even up until that like day that was his birthday I still had deep-seated fearful thoughts that Mm -hmm. something could go wrong and I know that's just like PTSD or trauma or whatever from what we've been through it's like this disbelief that we could have a living child Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, once we were actually in the hospital and I had, was like hooked up to the monitors, I think that did give me such a feeling of peace because it was like relief. Like here's the day I'm hooked up to monitors. Like if something were to go wrong, even in this last like couple of hours before he's born, they could respond right away. So I just felt like safe and you know safer than I necessarily felt at home like just waiting you know in the weeks leading up to the birth so that was kind of an interesting you know some people who haven't been through loss might feel extremely nervous at the hospital for a scheduled c-section but I felt Mm. like such a feeling of relief and I will say the only moment that I felt like anxiety and fear was when they finally were like okay we're ready to go (laughs) And they started rolling me on the bed um, towards the OR. And you were, I think, walking beside me. But then they said, okay, Hunter, you have to wait outside while they took me into the OR to do the spinal tap, Mm -hmm. um, which I knew was going to happen. Like I said before, we knew every step of the way how things were going to work. But it was still scary to be separated from you. And then they wheeled, wheeled me into the OR and... The lights are so bright in there, and there's several other new people who I haven't met yet who mm-hmm. are in there prepping stuff, and it just, it was like, okay, this is game time, and you mm-hmm. could just tell that, like, they had this energy of, like, game time kind of intensity or focus, and um, and so that was real of, like, oh, they're about to cut me open, you know, mm-hmm. to be graphic, but um, that is, that's what what was going to happen. And then also I'd remembered like from the C-section with Ellis that the spinal tap, I really didn't like the feeling of being numb on my whole lower body. So I was anxious about that, but I did like we talked about earlier, I trusted the anesthesiologist and, and so, um, compared with Ellis, I remember I also had a very good anesthesiologist with um, his birth. We were at a different hospital, but I remember just like telling her everything that was coming through my mind because I just needed like support for all the kind Mm -hmm. of anxious thoughts Mm -hmm. that were coming through. And so I did the same thing this time and it worked really well. So um, the anesthesiologist coached me through every single thing that she was doing. She talked it through and they numbed the site, so I didn't feel pain when she actually put the spinal tap in. And um, then it was kind of this like whoosh feeling of like, I could start to feel the, the spinal tap working and everything just kind of went tingly numb like in my lower half. And, um, but I could still feel my legs a little bit. So I remember that being kind of like unnerving mm-hmm. and I was worried like, 
am I not, is it yeah, not working yeah. all the way? Like, are they going to, am I going to feel right. the surgery? And so I told her, I was like, I can still feel kind of my legs. And she said, that's totally normal. That's mm-hmm. how it's supposed to be. And so then it was like, I think they had me lay down and I felt, um, well, they, they started, it was like they were prepping me mm-hmm. and then they brought you into the room Yep. and you sat next to me. And our plan was that you had, we created a playlist because we were told that we could play music in there, mm-hmm. which was really nice. And, um, yeah, just to, you know, in terms of my question about like how it differed from, um, you know, my expectations and from the actual event for me, um, you know, we had, we had had meetings with our doula beforehand and these appointments lasted, you know, an hour, sometimes a couple hours. Um, and we had talked about all of the different specifications we could, we could request for um, the actual birth. And when I got, you know, when we got there, it was like all over so fast that yeah. it, it just seemed kind of... Um, kind of comical in in hindsight that that we were kind of like okay we're gonna like we're gonna play music and do stuff and and I know you said it was relaxing for you so I'm I'm glad that it had that effect for me it was just like it felt like it was over like in a snap I don't know if that was just like a time relativity thing where it seemed like it went faster than it actually did but um no, it did go fast. I mean, it was it was like fifteen minutes for you know. Yeah. It seemed like from when they uh, actually started, and I, uh, you know, I know uh, one of the things you we, you were talking about the anesthesiologist. Um, she, I remember you felt that pressure, right? Um, on my chest. On your chest. Like I couldn't breathe almost. And that was, uh, our doula prepared us for that. She said that, you know, when they're kind of moving some of your organs, um, around that you would feel that strain. But I, I know she explained that to you, right? The anesthesiologist. So well, that was she, one. she had a great solution. She just said, that's totally normal. And she said, put your hand on your chest and feel yourself breathe. And that instantly calmed me. Cause it was like, oh, I can physically feel that my chest is raising and you know I can I'm breathing because it felt like I couldn't breathe but it was just kind of the anesthesia I guess and like what you said just Mm -hmm. everything they were doing to me um but yeah it was incredible how quickly it all happened because it was like I thought they were still prepping me when you came into the room but actually they had already started the surgery and they just didn't, mm. they didn't say like, we're officially starting, right. they, which is probably a good thing. Cause I would have maybe gotten anxious about that. But, um, yeah, once you came into the room, you turned on your music on your cell phone and it truly did just like, that was really important to have that you put together very calming music. And so that gave me something to focus on, like just look into your eyes and listen to the music and I could feel them like moving my lower half. Mm. Um, but I, I, of course couldn't feel any pain, but it was just sort of like movement down there. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it just felt like it wasn't even a minute you had been in the room and they lift the baby up, Mm -hmm. you know, our doctor. And it's like, I was so shocked that he, they had already started the surgery. Yeah. I, even before that. So I remember them telling me like, okay, we're about to. Take him out. We can see. You oh, know, you remember that? I heard. Yeah. Huh. Um, I, must have I was been... probably a little more with it than you were, but <laughs> yeah. uh, they and I don't know about you, but I heard a cry before before they raised him up, and it was it. I was like you said, you know, there. Um, it just having gone through loss of of Ellis, uh, the stillbirth, and and different miscarriages as well. I feel, I feel like there's a, there's just like a cognitive dissonance that where I couldn't believe that this was actually real. And so when I heard that cry, I swear that I thought 
this was coming from out in the hall. Me too. It didn't connect to me that that's our baby. Yeah. Um, I felt the same way. And it just was unreal. Uh, I, I, I wonder if that would, if that's different for parents who have had a child and then they have loss, you know, do they still feel that like, um, that just, uh, do they still kind of protect themselves from believing that, that they can have a child, you know, like, cause I feel like it's a defense mechanism or something where we're just like, no, that can't happen for us, even though, um, you know, you want to believe and have hope, but there's, there's some part of myself that it's, it's almost like, you know, Charlie Brown kicking the football, you know, like every time he tries to kick the football and Lucy pulls it away and he falls on his butt, you know, just over and over. Um, and so you, you don't believe that, you know, you can actually do it, (laughs) but, uh, that was, that was so amazing when they raised him up that kind of Lion King moment over the sheet and, I don't even think I saw, or I don't know, my memory is kind of like a little bit blacked out at that exact moment because I've seen the picture that you took, Hunter took this amazing picture of our Obi holding him up over the curtain. Um, and so like in my memory, I can see that image, but I don't know if it's because I actually saw it in that moment. My memory of the room is like, I could... I heard this cry, and like you said, I didn't even connect it that that was our baby. And then I saw the nurse, one of the nurses carrying him over kind of behind behind you to this, um, to the little bassinet. And once I actually saw the baby, and I could hear everyone in the room, they were like, everyone was really excited and kind of like celebratory, right? I don't remember mm-hmm. what they were saying, but it was yeah. just like, oh, yay, he's here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started crying immediately when I saw him, it was just this reaction of like shock and amazement and overjoyed and, um, and yeah, then I could hear this like squealing cry and it really just became real of like, that's our baby, not some other baby in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And then you, you went over and you were like taking pictures of him in the bassinet and, they were weighing him and doing all of the the little APGAR testing. And something that was shocking to me is just just how much he looked like his pictures. Yeah. From you the, mean his ultrasound? His ultrasound pictures. pictures. Yeah. yeah. Like um, that was surprising to me. I didn't realize. You know, I just I'm so used to seeing those lo-fi uh, ultrasound photos, and we did have a few 3D. Yeah, and those and those ones. It's like, like, wow, that's I him. I mean, I he's been yeah, he's been the same baby. Just... I know it, it. It was that cognitive dissonance of like, even though we had all these ultrasounds, like weekly ultrasounds of him inside of my belly, it's like it's just like hard to imagine. He's a real baby that will be outside yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I mean. I'm just thinking now and comparing the, this birth experience to uh, our experience with Ellis. And I, I have a strong, I feel like I have a stronger sensory connection with Ellis's birth. Like I just, I remember everything very vividly and the feeling because it was uh, such a complex mixture of feelings and I was feeling so much for you in that moment and I mean it was it was both beautiful and and just so sad to see him but also I know we both felt like um, with Ellis that well I felt a kind of relief and and a um I was very surprised by my own connection I was I was afraid of seeing Ellis and and what he would look like and if Mm -hmm. it would you know terrify me or just you know if if I 
would, would I want to hold him? Would I want to, you know? Right. And when I realized, oh, you know, that's my son and I felt this intrinsic connection to him and wanted to hold him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a very kind of um, beautiful uh, experience as well. So it was very complex. And I think for that reason, that that birth was very, it's just yeah ingrained on my brain. And, and not that JoJo's birth was not, but it felt more like uh, our wedding or something where I was yeah. just swept away and everything just felt like a blur. Um, yeah. Whereas with Ellis, it was like each moment, you know, was. Yeah. I'm really glad you put it that way because that's how I feel about it too. And I haven't really like thought about it mm-hmm. or expressed it. Um, but yeah, that's the perfect way to say it. That jo- JoJo's birth felt like a wedding and just mm-hmm. kind of like this great day that you've been thinking about for a long time and it goes by so quick and it just like you're swept away, away by it. But it's hard to remember like specific, you know, moments. But mm-hmm. yeah, Ellis is like each moment is so like seared into my memory. Um, so that's really interesting. And I, I wonder, like you said earlier about our parents that have not experienced loss yeah is the is the first birth of their first child similar like that they remember every moment or is it more mm-hmm. like Jonas where they're just kind of swept away um mm-hmm. I, I would imagine it's more like Jonas's birth and because mm-hmm. yeah the like you said the mixture of emotions with Ellis of like trauma and shock mm-hmm. and grief and um, and really like, yeah, horror of like, this is the worst moment. And we were horrified of like, what was that going to be like to see him and would we want to hold him? And, um, and so, yeah, just like all those moments are very powerful. And, um, so yeah, it's interesting, like thinking about expectations of Jojo's birth, cause it's kind of like. Um, in general, my expectation was I was wanted it to be um, a joyful day, and it, I think it it was. And it was. Um, and then after after the birth, well, they they swaddled him and held him up close to me while I was still on the operating table, and they were um, I guess stitching me up. And the nurse took pictures of us together with him, and then. We went into the post-op room, and at that point, the um, I started to get the shakes really badly mm. from the anesthesia. And your your teeth were chattering, yeah, like crazy, like uncontrollable mm-hmm. chattering teeth, which was just so uncomfortable. Like I couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy the moment or be that present because it was just this overwhelming, like shaking feeling. Mm-hmm. And I remember having that with Ellis too, but. With Ellis, they every time, um, whenever I was holding him after the surgery, it would just give me, I guess, like oxytocin or just mm-hmm. whatever, like this calm throughout my body, and it would stop the shakes. Right. And so I remember they said the same thing with Jonas that, you know, that would help just to hold him, and um, that the shakes would last about an hour. Yeah, and I remember the- you shaking a lot with Ellis, even when you were holding him, but your teeth weren't chattering so loud like one of those little toys I know it was crazy um and I think part of that too was like like just talk about being swept up at the moment like Mm -hmm. everything just you know maybe it was the anesthesia but also just kind of the emotions and everything all together it was like whoa our baby's here he's in my arms like what this Mm -hmm. is crazy and our doula was able to be there for that moment so she was in the room with us and she helped um, me to try to get a latch so that we could try to breastfeed within that first like hour or so because um, that's something that we had wanted to, to try to do and just have that skin to skin which we had and, um, and the skin to skin did help to calm me down as mm-hmm. far as the, sh- the shaking and chills um, but I remember even like my mom she had a c-section with my sister who's seven years younger than me so I remember seeing my mom in that same state in the post-op room of just mm. like having the chills really mm-hmm. badly 
Um, so I know that's common, but, uh, yeah, it was, he, he was able to latch. It was, um, I guess because he was so small, he was born a little bit early at 37 Mm -hmm. weeks. And I've talked about that in previous episodes, why he was born earlier. Um, so if you want to know more, you can go and listen. Um, but I think because of that, you know, he just was physically smaller. His mouth was smaller, so it was harder to get a good latch for breastfeeding. So I remember that being pretty painful right from the start. And we found out over the next day or two from lactation specialists and others that babies born at boys, uh, born at 37 weeks are supposedly the most difficult yeah, it's like great. feeders uh yeah from the from the jump so yeah definitely had some trouble in the first few days and actually weeks right I mean yeah I mean really that was painful first month or so yeah um but yeah so we at that point, it was probably, I don't I have no sense of time, but it was evening, and mm-hmm. I still hadn't eaten. And I remember they told mm-hmm. me that, I was like, will I be able to eat a meal? And they said that, um, I can't remember the reason, but it was like, basically, I wasn't going to get to eat a meal until the next morning. Right. Which like was, a full meal. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, no. I think you were able to have, like, crackers or something that night? Or, yeah, and, like, yeah. juice or something. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, they, um, I guess we were in that post-op room for a while. We were in there for, until, um, around like nine or 10. So there was some shortage of rooms. And so we, um, we waited there for a while and then were transferred, um, later that, uh, night. Um, to kind of like an extra room that they converted for us, which Mm -hmm. was really sweet of them. Yeah. Um, cause that was part of maybe like talking about expectations we had planned on having a suite so that Hunter could have like a separate room that was attached to my room that he'd have a proper like fold out couch bed. Cause with Ellis, he had just this, we had this teeny tiny room that we stayed in for two days or for three days. Mm-hmm. And there was a chair in the corner that folded out into like not even a twin size bed and Hunter is six, three. So it was just not comfortable for you. And so we decided, you know, it's, We've spent this whole pregnancy during the pandemic and haven't traveled anywhere, <laughs> didn't take a baby moon. We're like, we're going to upgrade to the suite so, so we have than, a comfortable experience. More than experience. worth it to, to pay a hundred bucks a night or whatever it was for, for a suite for this kind of once in a lifetime yeah. event. So. Yeah. But unfortunately, they didn't have it. They didn't have it, and even though they had told us ahead of time that that would not be a problem, um, but that was just one of those things where we rolled with it, and it ended up being totally fine. Right. They accommodated us as best they could, and didn't you know we still got a bigger room, um, and they didn't charge us, and I think that was partially also, or maybe fully, because everyone knew our story and they knew how extra special of a time this was for us so they like we could just sense from all the staff that they were trying their best to make us comfortable and um yeah so I that ended up being fine too Mm -hmm. and the rest of that evening is kind of a blur in my mind probably because I was like so hungry and just um everything was so like new and just yeah I mean it was too much happened I mean we were we had Jonas with us. We were, uh, well, we hadn't named him yet. Yeah. Until nine or so. Nine or so. Yeah. And so we had family texting us and trying to ask us the name. And, uh, we had a couple names picked out, um, and we're waiting to narrow it down until after he was born. And we had it by that night, but it was funny in hindsight. Um, learning how how much in distress our parents were at the you know when we hadn't responded sooner so i think your mom called my mom and was like is there do you know the name yeah do you know the name is there something wrong what's going on yeah Yeah. but yeah we just hadn't had a moment to really talk with ourselves and, Mm -hmm. and decide and um and we knew that 
we really needed to see him first before we chose one of those two names that we had. And the nurses come in and out like every five or ten minutes. There was just always someone in our room at first. So once we actually had time to like talk privately about it, mm-hmm. we decided. And That's, we were both yeah. unanimous about choosing Jonas. And part of what's so special about his name is that it means dove or peace. And like I've talked about, peace was really a thread from even before he was, um, we were officially pregnant with him. I just felt this sense of overwhelming peace. And the day of his birthday, I felt that peace. So I love that that is part of his name. And we were already kind of calling him Jojo. Yeah, we loved that nickname. Mm-hmm. And then Arden, his middle name, is, is a family name Yeah. on my side. And there was connection, too, with Ellis with the biblical story of a rainbow the after the storm there was a dove that brought kind of the message right yeah after after the great flood yeah and so i just i like that that there's a, a connection between kind of those stories of um of the rainbow which has become such a special symbol of ellis which you can listen to like in the in the first the very first episode of this podcast i talk about the rainbows and the significance not only the term rainbow baby for us, but just there's so much more meaning with Ellis and all the rainbows we've seen. And also then like just their names. I like finding connections like this, but they're both two syllables and they end in an an S sound. So Ellis and Jonas. So they just, they feel like they kind of go together. So yeah, I think we, we turned out to really love the name. So... I think one of the experiences that we both had in the hospital was just, and this seems common to all new parents, uh, is just the difficulty of being being new to the whole process and feeding and trying to change him, trying to swaddle him. You know, everything felt so new and fresh. Um, and the fact that we were both inexperienced kind of made us both more tense at, and uh, with each other. And I think we really leaned on the staff a lot early on. Yeah. Well, and I think that was an important thing that another lost mom told me, which was Rachel George in that final episode before our birth. Um, she had talked about how when her rainbow baby was born that because she had already given birth to two babies who tragically died after birth. She considered herself a parent, but then with her rainbow baby, it was like this new experience of motherhood, kind of a new layer of like mm-hmm. actually mothering a living child. And she kind of had this really great perspective that was so good for me to hear, which was to just let go a little bit and, and be comfortable in the space of not knowing everything. It's okay that like, hmm. e- even though you're already a, like, I'm already a mama to Ellis, I haven't mothered a living child. And so there are things I don't know about how to be a mother mm-hmm. and that's okay. I don't need to like prove anything or prove my motherhood. It's okay to ask for help and not know everything already. Um, So that was so good that she had pointed that out and kind of shared that part of her own experience because it was fresh on my mind when we were in the hospital and I did feel comfortable to like really lean on the nurses and the lactation consultants especially and yeah, didn't didn't feel necessarily like, oh, I have to already know everything or be good at it or I wasn't afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And then comparatively, my recovery was felt so much easier in the hospital and i know that with ellis it was just like the intense weight of grief made it so difficult to physically recover or have the desire to try to get up and walk even which is something important after a c-section they want you to get up and walk around Mm -hmm. and this time with jojo it was like you know i was just thrilled and entranced with this new baby and it made it so much easier to have the will to like right. you were ready to 
to take a shower. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to do all of the things. And yeah, even though we were, you know, grateful for that time in the hospital to, to just kind of have all of that staff and experience and lactation specialists and everything, that was great to have um, access to. But we were also ready to get home when we did. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And the day that we were going to leave, um, we pretty much told them that morning, like, okay, can we, can we leave today? We're ready. And, um, got that approval process mm-hmm. moving as quickly as it could. Cause it ended up taking like many hours for them to discharge us. Mm-hmm. But our lead nurse summer came back in that day before we left and she gave us a really special gift bag that she put together from her and our OB and she'd gone to Target and um, picked up some really cute baby outfits and just diapers. There was like all this like stuff that we would need for taking care of a newborn and wrote a really nice card signed by her and our doctor and that just made me feel you know that was kind of like the icing on the cake of our experience was just that they cared for us so much and they were so genuinely excited for us to finally have Jojo here and I know that that's probably unusual like they don't do that for all of their patients and so it just made us feel really taken care of and um but again it was just so nice like all the yeah. staff just really cared for us and especially during a pandemic I was so impressed that yeah. everyone just seemed happy to be there mm-hmm. and I felt so grateful for their service and mm-hmm. the way they treated us so yeah it was it was like it really was the best day ever just like Summer had said that she was gonna provide for us I honestly feel like it was the best day ever yeah and yeah I really think all of the effort that um, mostly you put into finding the right hospital for for you and for us and for connecting with a doula and and a doula who had also experienced loss was all very worth it and to and to find an OB who really understood your experience and um, that you felt comfortable with that you felt that you trusted in and um, I mean it was all worth it and and I would give that advice to anybody that has had, uh, who has experienced loss and, and is, um, trying to conceive again, um, you know, really, really find a hospital, uh, that is, is going to take care of you and, um, a doula I would recommend definitely. I know I mentioned all, all of the discussion we had had about, um, the birth and about that with the doula beforehand didn't, um, you know, it seemed like it was all over in a flash and, and it still was so great to have the doula and, and really for all of the um, preparation she gave us for, for life with the baby and um, and just for her presence and being there on the day of the birth at the hospital was so valuable. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. It's great to just have another advocate. Right. There. And something I forgot, she suggested that we plan ahead of time a way to incorporate Ellis into mm-hmm. to the Genesis birth experience, which was really great of her. Just to, She was helping us make sure we kind of covered all of our bases mm-hmm. of what to expect for that day and to make it really special. But So we decided to bring a blanket from Ellis's birth, which had been given to us by the hospital, and it was a special blanket that was knitted by a, a group called Threads of Love and they specifically make blankets for parent for bereaved mm-hmm. parents. And so it's this really sweet knitted blanket that we have pictures of Ellis wrapped up in. And so now we have pictures of Jojo wrapped mm-hmm. up in that same blanket look right when he right after he was born. Um, so that was a really sweet way to like connect their births together and that was definitely inspired by a suggestion suggestion from our doula. So yeah, our doula has also experienced loss, like you said, which that was really important to have someone who understood that experience that we'd been through and helped could help guide us through it ourselves. And kind of one other thing is like, 
I had spent a lot of time thinking about what I would pack or like what we would need <laughs> to bring in our hospital bags. Mm-hmm. And I think like I could have gone to the hospital without anything and would have been fine. Like I packed a full bag of all this stuff and didn't end up using any of it. Yeah. Like except for even... our phone chargers. I know. The hospital provided everything I needed. They did. For the most part, we yeah. it was good to have it was good to have a, a that charger with an extension cord. Yes. Right. Yes. And um, it was good to have our pillows yeah, to, to make it more comfortable. But yeah, like you said, I th- we had a lot of like care items packed by family and, yeah. and friends, and we just didn't even get to opening yeah. them until you know before we were leaving or some things that we didn't even open right um oh one thing we had done which we forgot to talk about was connected with our baby shower we printed physical invitations for our drive-by baby shower and we included these cards that were um blessing cards where we asked for people to write a blessing for baby Bates, and then we included a, a card for them or an envelope for them to mail it back to us and we saved all the cards and didn't open them until our plan was to open them at the hospital and kind of have it be this special experience of reading through all the blessings for him. And we totally like didn't even have time to do that because of just everything like mm-hmm. all just your con- it's amazing how like busy you are at the hospital just people constantly coming in and doing and how tired. <laughs> yeah, and how tired you are. But when we when we got home later on, we ended up opening those, which was yeah. so special. But that's another thing, you know, maybe an idea for other bereaved parents. Um, that was something really special to do and have all of those those blessings. And part of that was because of, we're in a pandemic, so we couldn't have those people with us at the hospital to come and visit and see right. him. So it made us feel like, in a way, they were present with us when they couldn't be. And even though we didn't open them you know, before the operation, I think just, just knowing that, uh, our friends and family had these intentions, these positive intentions, um, and blessings, it felt, it felt good, you know, yeah. to know we had that love and, um, support going into it. Yeah. So, um, I think we're going to have kind of a, a part two to this where we talk about the first three months postpartum and what that experience has been like so um, that'll be in the next episode that you can look forward to I hope this episode was meaningful for you to connect with me you can visit taylorashleybates.com and also find me on instagram with my new handle rainbow baby podcast please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates, sending you peace and hope for your journey.